0: Hideo Kojima has been a standard bearer for the very best that the gaming medium has to offer, and has inspired many into creating a mature art form. That guy, like he's he's such a genius, and uh, I'm just doing whatever he says, you know. And he's like, we're gonna make people cry. And I'm like, for a video game? And he's like, yep. What the Kojima is the the master, it's Kasparov of, of 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 video games. And then he goes, he goes, and I go playing me, and he goes, no, they'll be you. It's not, obviously, it's not story-driven in the sense that we go from A to Z, like we do in a film. It is out of time, out of space. It is in the moment. So I think the opportunity of, of doing things we've never done before could be very interesting. He is to gaming in many ways uh, what Cameron or Spielberg are to filmmaking. His absolute passion for perfection and his narrative ambition and scope. There is nothing in his stories that he does not love and feel strongly about. You can see strands of action, strands of manga, anime, tokusatsu, epics, and existential philosophy. He believes, as I do, that we must cherish this medium, not only for the entertainment possibilities, but for its artistic ones. We both believe that these things, these strands of pop culture, are actually keys to the mythology of our century. He proves that an altruistic voice and vision can sing loud and clear above the din of sameness and that an individual with conviction and faith can manage anything through hard work. It is my great pleasure to introduce a creator, an innovator, and an awesome dude. Ladies and gentlemen, Hideo Kojima! Hello, everyone. I'm back.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 22 of the Death Stranding podcast. It's technically Monday, April 2nd, 2018, and I don't remember the dates for all of the things happening like at E3 2018 and all that, so I guess we'll skip that for now. Yeah. My name is Eddie, and I am this episode's host. I'm filling in for Albert because he's taking care of all the business, but today I'm joined by the one and only American Boy co-host, Mitchell.
2: Hey, what's up, everyone?
1: It's good to have you, man.
2: It's good to be back.
1: It, and I feel like we say that a lot. We're always back. Yeah. <laughs> um, but well, at least I am. Yeah, go ahead.
2: I said, well, at least I try to be.
1: Ah, uh, yeah. So as long as we keep this regular, we'll all be regular. huh? Um, so this is a weekly podcast dedicated to Death Stranding the currently in production upcoming title from hideo kojima and kojima productions as well as news and discussion on the game itself we also cover mr kojima's many and varied influences everything from literature to film poetry tv and more our mission is to sh- showcase this, uh, our mission is to showcase and celebrate how culturally intellectually artistically and philosophically enriching and eclectic mr kojima's work truly is leading up to and following the game's eventual release with that regular rundown out of the way, let's get the show started. So Mitchell,
2: mm-hmm. it's time to yep. catch
1: up. How was th- this past week for you?
2: It's uh, it's been good. It's been uh, I don't know what when 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 did we record? What day?
1: We recorded uh, Wednesday of last week, I think. Was it Tuesday?
2: Man, I felt like I felt like it was sooner. Was it sooner? I mean, like it was like. Was it, was it was it really Tuesday?
1: Maybe it was Thursday. I think it was Thursday actually. I'm all turned around. My week has been crazy.
2: I don't mind <laughs> too. I had a birthday party and Easter and other stuff. Yeah.
1: yeah. I spent most of uh, most of Easter editing that last podcast. So. Huh.
2: So so what? Everyone, uh, give Eddie some love. Give, give Eddie some uh, <laughs> love in the comments, fellow. Give g- can can I hear some booyahs in the chat? Oh well, thank you. Booyahs.
1: Everybody not all at once, no. <laughs> uh, Everyone
2: at once, say booyah.
1: Ah uh, but uh but yeah man, what's been uh, what's been going on? What have you been uh playing this past week, if anything?
2: Uh I've started playing Symphony of the Night and uh a little bit of Borderlands, the pre sequel, and then uh a lot of PUBG. PUBG Mobile? Uh yeah. I, my brother on Easter, my I got my two older brothers to get into it, oh, and my nice. brother-in-law, my younger brother, and we all squatted up and we just started going. <laughs> That's out. we We played. We all sat on the couch. We all had our chargers plugged in because it drains your battery insanely fast. Yeah. So we're all sitting there from like I guess was like one p.m. until like seven p.m. We just played PUBG all day. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty crazy.
1: Yeah, I've been playing yeah. with one of my coworkers, but uh, it's very sporadic cuz you know, I'm, I'm at work all more, you know, all day. Yeah. And then I play one match and one match is half and I was like, "Oh, I got to get back to whatever I was doing." Um mm-hmm. and, and I want to invest more time, but then at the same time I'm jumping in between other games. So, I finally actually finished uh near Automata the first ending. Ooh,
2: the first ending. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you about like a quarter of the way through the game now. Yeah.
1: So I I'm halfway through um 9S's story, so okay, so I, which is
2: kind of cool with the hacking mechanic.
1: Yeah, and, and it took me aback a little bit. It's it definitely takes some getting used to, um, mm-hmm. but now that I understand what's going on roughly and how it works, you know, I'm comfortable with it. I guess.
2: Yeah, because like I kind of wish that the 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 two B and the 9S story were kind of mixed in together you know yeah yeah i, I, I feel personally. like it would have because right now it just feels like it's just like for most people it's just like oh i just have to play the game with a new character and then they'll just put it down and never play it again mm-hmm. and that's not what they wanted to do I'm like it's not different enough to do that it's still an amazing game so i think you should keep going on once you get to yeah after the ending b then it starts ramping up and going crazy and uh it will make you cry huh manly tears See, and that's, that's the thing, you- man.
1: That's the thing, because I, I, after finishing that first ending, I, I realized, wow, like, this is over. And I didn't understand what you guys were kind of, you know, leading me up to before. Um, and I started playing it that, you know, once you hit continue, and it's like, oh, you're going to be playing this whole other character. And it's like, oh, okay, like, I'm down with that. But after the first two missions, I was like, okay, this is the same thing. I'm just seeing it from a slightly different perspective. Like, I'm down with this. I'm not too happy with it yet, but mm. just because it took me out of my comfort zone right at right when I started getting comfortable, um, mm. I was not happy at first. But now I am, and I'm you know I'm gonna keep pushing forward, and I hope to finish that at some point this week because, yeah. um, which I've been playing some others. I've been playing Xenoblade Chronicles too uh, like mm. intermittently, and I just finished chapter three on that, and it like, fucking blew me away. And I was just, I got super invested again, and it, you know, and, and I'll talk about that a little bit more later uh, when we get into some of the other stuff we have planned. Um, yeah. But, yeah, man, what else, what else is happening?
2: Um, right now I've been reading a lot, but, uh, yeah, my brother had his, his birthday party on Saturday, and then we had Easter on Sunday. So it's been long, long week. Twelve kids at the house. Wow one of them shit all over the toilet. Like rubbed it like you know ever <laughs> seen that one scene in uh Dumb and Dumber? Where it goes, There's shit everywhere. Yeah. It's all over the wall like literally that's what our bathroom was. Wow. Yep. And me and my dad, we just got on the car, we left, but not <laughs> not because of that. We were we were leaving somewhere and I like, Hey mama, I might want to check this out and just he goes, Oh my god I'm like Well I have to go so Bye. Oh, you guys suck. <laughs> and we got it, and we went to uh, an audio store and bought a book.
1: Damn. Nice cop out. I went to go buy a book. I was still doing something worthy of our time.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, we, were, we were planning this all day.
1: That's great. Oh man. What
2: else are you doing? I have not done a lot of writing at all. So. Mm. Everyone in the comments. Uh, Giving me a lot of booze, for me for not writing. Uh, yeah. And you've been uh, working
1: on short stories and stuff, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Short stories. Uh, basically, I wrote a theory about Death Stranding, and it kind of was similar to other writings I had mm-hmm. that I, you know. So I decided to combine them together and create uh, kind of like a Annihilation meets Interstellar meets Arrival. You know, yeah. it's Death Stranding kind of story,
3: mm-hmm.
2: kind of based on my theory and then just kind of changing things as I go along, as I like the story and how it changes and stuff. I'm, I've am i written about 30 pages, and I'm hoping to write about 100 for the short story, but if it goes more than that, then I'm happy to do so. But the whole plan is at least 150 pages by the end of the year for the short story, I'm, I'm a, I have dyslexia, so it's really uh, tough to write. Yeah. And it takes forever. Like, I'm writing like 120 words per minute, so. No, 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 no sorry, sorry, no 120. Like, only 20, sorry. Mm-hmm. So, like, 20 words per minute, so that's pretty slow. Most people can write up to over, like, up close to two. Like, people that are, like, good at typing, like, close yeah. to 100. And so. I'm pretty slow, and so that's what I've been doing in my personal life. What about you, Eduardo? What have you been doing?
1: Uh, just uh, always working, man. I'm always grinding. Grinding for that, uh, that money. Nah, just, Rise uh, and grind? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, nah, just, uh, let's see. Uh, finally kind of... Uh, n- not to say that I wasn't comfortable before, but finally comfortable in, in in my place. Things are kind of finally starting to mellow out at work. I just had my, uh, yearly review and it went really well. And for some reason, March just felt like a really long month. You know, I just, I couldn't wait for it to be over. And now that it's over, it's just like, it, it honestly felt like it was two months long. Yeah. Uh, as crazy as that sounds. But, uh, outside of work, um, I actually did get, and this is what's bizarre. I wasn't necessarily sick. And I told, I talked to you about this, uh, I had this uh whole vertigo episode thing uh where I panicked and ended up going to the doctor but turns out it's just like well there's these calcium crystals in your inner ear that came loose and are in your inner ear canal so you're not going to have your balance completely well off for a few days you'll be fine but you know I was like well I mean what do I what am I supposed to do and my doctor's just like just do this maneuver twice a day you'll be fine uh and it it just sucks cuz it, it's Essentially what happened is I laid down, uh, I was watching TV, and I decided to switch to my left side. And switching to my left side, it's like I got really bad vertigo where the room started spinning. And I just sat up, waited a few seconds. I was like, okay, that was bizarre. I tried laying back down, and I, I spun out. I literally just fell to the ground because I lost complete, my, my entire sense of where mm-hmm. up and down is. Yeah. So, you know, that's kind of scary. And then to go to the doctor, like, oh, no, you're fine. And I'm fine now. You know, like, I'm perfectly fine today. I can still run and jump and do everything. It was just...
2: Was it an episode or uh, is it something more uh, like a condition where uh, it could return later on? So,
1: yeah, and that's the thing. Uh, When I was talking to my doctor, it turns out that it's not necessarily conditioned. This thing, uh, it's benign. It it usually only occurs with people that... uh, you know, not, not, uh, either elderly people or somebody who suffered a recent head injury. And I was thinking back, it's like, well, I'm not old. And I also don't think I had a head injury. And maybe I did. I just, you know, because when you hit your head on something on accident, you don't remember. And I couldn't tell you how many times I'm under my desk at work and I stand up too quickly and hit myself. You know, it's just, yeah, it could have been that. Um, but it, well, like, does that
2: happen often at work? Like, you just like, you're under a table and you just go, you just go like that?
1: <laughs> no, like, it it happens, like, every once in a while when I'm trying to get my uh, phone charger when my battery's low, you know? Uh, Which is rare. Well, to, and that's the thing, like, maybe I did hit myself on the head some at some point. Uh, I don't know, but...
2: Um, it's like uh, sometimes, like, when you're, like... Where we you're walking, like, oh, my arm stings. And you look and it's just got a big cut on it. It's like, where did I come from? You know. Yeah, it's 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 one of those things. Like... It's
1: not what something you think about until you realize that it's there. Um, yeah. It's nothing to worry. It, but it was just debilitating. You know, like not only did it freak me out for a day, but it, it kind of uh, it put me out because I couldn't focus. Uh, you know, just whenever I would lay down on my left side or kind of just shift a little bit, I would get dizzy. But not so dizzy where I lost control like I did that initial time. But it was, um, it just, it, it would take a lot out of me because I went to work, you know, I didn't even drive to work. I, I took a, an Uber uh, and I'm sitting there trying to read and write and I just couldn't. I couldn't, you know, it, it, was, it was honestly, it was taking me like two words, a half hour just because I could not focus. Um, so then I didn't go to work the next day and it, I just kind of stayed home and uh, rested, and it helped a lot, but mm. that that 's really my entire week and I tried really hard to play any video games or and I just couldn't so
2: yeah those times it's just good to you know just like either throw on a bunch of podcasts and just listen to them while you close yeah. your eyes and just lay down
1: yeah and I was watching a lot of uh well not watching I was listening to that seventy show pretty much uh it was <laughs> no, just,
2: just on, on a one of those like two twenty four seven uh, live streams on YouTube or what?
1: It was on Netflix, uh, so I just I kind uh-huh. of slapped it on and left it on while I buried my head into a pillow. Um, but I got a vacation coming up soon, so um, yeah, man, I'm excited for that.
2: So hopefully it doesn't. Hopefully they don't dock you from vacation days because oh, as no. long as you have a... Because no. I know some places that like they combine vacation days and sick days and do all this stupid stuff. Oh
1: yeah, I freaking hate that. Thankfully, I no. Thankfully, my my boss is. Uh, pretty understanding about all that and he just he didn't ding me he was just like yeah man d- like do whatever you need to do and I was just like uh what I need to do is not do anything so <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah but it, yeah it, it's all working out pretty well um but let's let's talk news is there any death stranding news that I'm not aware of because I feel like I missed out um, on a lot this past week no okay so that's good
2: uh young yeah I made another update video
1: Oh, I saw that. It came up on my uh feed. Did you watch it?
2: I, I've I've put on a, a strike against Chiang Ya until he apologizes. But uh <laughs> no basically someone found an article uh from the Undead Walking that someone caught an eye on the post that just said on her Instagram post, uh, here, let me read it. Mm. So I don't wanna paraphrase, I just wanna read it. Where she puts in her hashtag, she edited the description of it. Open up a hashtag. Even though I'm a big fan, I'm not part of Death Stranding. That's the description of it now.
3: So, mm. huh.
2: so she's not. She's she confirmed that she's not part of it. Yeah. So. Basically, I don't, I don't so. Looking that now, yeah. So undead walking uh, posted that, and then someone on Reddit posted that, and then young yeah then reported on it, and then didn't source it. Mm-hmm. so It just bugs me, because I've had people take credit for my work, like group projects and stuff, or even just straight up still work for me in creative writing, things like that. Yeah. And so, it just upsets me when someone does something like that, and it's just honest. Even though I love his theories. Just, uh here's another week of Mitchell complaining about Young, yeah. And maybe... <laughs> You know, he might complain about loot boxes, and I complain about him. Hmm. So,
1: yeah, man. I mean, whatever. I, I and think... that's the thing. Like, um, I, I'm relatively indifferent to the whole thing because uh, I've been a fan of his for a while, and I definitely, you know, looked forward to every video he would produce on anything for MGS5. I was stoked. Um, but with, with with this stuff happening, um, it, it's. I definitely feel. Uh, the same about you know it, w- when we're talking things about plagiarism and stealing other people's work and things like that like I agree G- give credit where it's due. Um, but I'm just not sure because this this is such a weird situation, you know it, it, it's so, it's so bizarre because it's based on an image based on somebody's post based on some you know there, there's a there's essentially yeah. a chain that you have to follow uh, and i feel like it gets a little convoluted which yeah. is probably what's contributing to my indifference because' yeah. like you know i'm a fan of youngs but like you know I, I i agree and understand that you know what he's what he did is not uh i don't want to say it's reprehensible but i mean based on your standards it is it, it is reprehensible and uh it's just it's like god damn it young like you know better than that like i want to tell him that
2: uh, I'm and, not really as mad. I'm not like angry, like ah like, yelling at the clouds or something. I'm just just disappointed. I'm like I thought. I yeah, could do that, better, that, and that's you know? I
1: think that's the operative word. I, I think you hit hit that right on the nose. That it's 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 a matter of disappointment. But it's just you know, you can only I'm disappointed, but I don't know how I don't know what to do with it. You
2: know? it's like, do I stop watching his videos? Like, that won't really do anything to his views. Like, yeah. people still watching. It's it's and just I a like, a lot of it is... like, I
1: haven't seen his last two videos, but not because I'm boycotting him or anything, or because I'm disappointed. It's just, I just haven't had the time, and I honestly don't find the last two videos interesting.
2: I don't. I I only watch for Death Training stuff. All his stuff about uh, Destiny Two, uh, about loot boxes and stuff. I'm like, yeah, maybe when there's a big update, you know. But like, just like, let me look. Let's see. Loop box, loop boxes. Let me count for the last week. One, two. Okay, if it's a loop box, EA or Destiny two, let me count. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Uh yeah, nine videos in the last week that are just EA, microtransactions, or Destiny 2.
1: Mm. So, well, at least he's consistent uh, yeah. on what he's producing, but.
2: yeah, It's just not something I'm interested in. And I think what he's doing right there is really important yeah. for uh, the community and calling out these bullshit stuff, but I think I know enough that it's just simply, you know, yeah, not something I really care for. Yeah. You know, it's just it's not like. I've given up. Destiny 2, I just. I don't even know why he's reporting on that. Like, this should die out, and Bungie should be.
1: Yeah, and, and on that note, I, I'm yeah. I'm really glad I didn't pick it up. I yeah. almost picked up Destiny 2, because I I I, uh, I was really late to the Destiny train, if you will. Um, and it's because my roommate was really into it, and he got me into it. I bought the while well, I was Thank on sale, can... I, the collection.
2: Oh, the collection for like thirty bucks or whatever. Yeah, and you know, uh, yeah, good I, price.
1: I, I, it, it's. It's hard to get through just because it's kind of all over the place, but it's fun like it is inherently fun yeah, yeah. Uh, the grind is sort of fun, but it starts to it really starts to pare down when you realize the uh it's like a terrible learning curve. Everybody who's been playing consistently, who's constantly getting their shit together and grinding has all the best gear who can, you, I get my ass wrecked constantly. but the multiplayer oh, yeah. is a little forgiving, which was nice.
2: Oh, I don't like the multiplayer problem with it is that you don't feel either a you don't feel powerful or b it's too powerful and it just the thing is is that with 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 uh halo yeah and i've only played like healer reach and i didn't even own it i just played it at a friend's house and the problem with those one another problem but those ones the reason why the multiplayer and the story part works so well together is that they built it up and they had these specific amount of weapons and had everything planned out from the beginning. And then they made it and they did DLC and then it was done.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But this game is constantly evolving. They're adding new weapons, they're adding new maps, they're adding new upgrades and classes and you know, all this stuff. When you start adding all this stuff, then you know when you add this weapon, you know, oh, now this weapon's more powerful than that one and this one's super more powerful. And then they nerf that one. And then you nerf that class and now this class sucks and it's just like it's a constant juggle of what makes it good What makes it bad yeah. and uh, near the end of destiny one? You know right now like right before it ended you know, about the last three or four months. It was a perfect game It was so much fun mm-hmm. And you know you, you could just spend hours just hop on you know I had a client um, in destiny and I joined them and There would be an every day I would come home when I was done with my homework. I'd hop on either play a raid do some uh strikes or play some crucible 1v1 snipers only, you know. Yeah. Or something like that. And now let me go to let me see the last time that we talked to each other on our group chat on uh and we've been I I only joined them in like April, but I've been playing since the beginning. I bought it on PS3, I played to the Taken King, and then I bought it uh in like April. I bought um the this a this last April in... My gosh, this was almost a year ago. Mm-hmm. Oh. Uh, basically, around then, about a year ago, I bought uh, Rise of Iron. Um, and then I, I played through that and I joined the clan right then. So basically, I played for them for about nine months straight. Yeah, January 20th was when that update came out. Mm-hmm. And the sad thing is, it says that it's not like it's a bad game, it's just that they're making the same mistakes. Mm-hmm. And it just makes me sad. It's just like, it's like you know, you're, yeah, and you're, it's, you're learning, and,
1: and they are playing with something yeah. that they don't understand, I guess. Because uh, the thing about Bungie, I was—I remember being very excited for their new project for Destiny when it was initially teased, uh, and that's because I played Halo Three religiously. You know, that was yeah. that was one game that it was very difficult for me to let go, um, because it meshed. Everything about that game was fantastic. I think it's... I still, to this day, think it's one of the best first-person shooters of all time. And because it has a very unique and powerful balance of uh, story-plot-driven gameplay, though it's not super compelling, it's just fucking badass. Uh, Mm -hmm. And the multiplayer is competitive and punishing, but it was fair. Mm -hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: and the system was just kind of awesome. You would get to level 50, but then if you'd lose a match or two, you'd drop down to 49. Like, you need to fucking maintain that shit. Uh, yeah. And it was just similar how to to your experience, you know, playing 1v1 snipers only. You, I couldn't tell you how much fucking around I did with friends on Halo 3. Yeah. We would just get on the fucking buggies with rocket launchers and shoot each other from across the desert. And it was just wreck shit. Like, And it was so much fun. And you just can't have that anymore. In a lot of games, just yeah. um, whether it's locally or online, you, you just don't have that because they're so convoluted with everything else that they keep trying to put out because they're trying to shove all of these things and also cash in because it says something about the uh, about the industry and where Bungie has gone because there's a couple of companies including Bungie that um, are really stri- They're they're really trying to redefine what games as a service is as they go along.
2: Yeah, they don't know what it is yet. Yeah. They just keep trying to figure it out,
1: and, and that's and the like, problem because they can't. You can't figure it out on the go; like it's just not gonna work that way. And you know, yeah. some people are speculating that Anthem is gonna be the answer to that. No, it might be, it might not be. I honestly don't think that it'll be. But no, uh,
2: Bioware has really lost a lot of its faith. Especially, uh, I think the last shot for a lot of the fans were is in mm-hmm. and I don't know what they were expecting. It's like it was like there's a bunch of bullshit online like like false claims like oh no it's because the creator hated white people and hated men I'm like no that's not the reason it's a bunch basically imagine this you know you worked on a few you know you worked on like maybe gameplay director or whatever and then you just put as project lead on a new game Mm -hmm. and basically for four years all these people basically first couple of years no not really any senior staff and they start building this game, and they don't really know how to build it because they're just pretty, pretty new into the industry. They just graduated college and maybe worked for a year or two, so they're not like fully grasping on the concepts.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And then they just get sent there, and they don't know how to do it. And so they spend four years trying to figure out how to make a video game. And then the last year, uh, EA is like, actually, let's send some actual senior leadership there. And then the last year, that's when the game came together. It's a surprise that the game even works at launch. And, you know, with, you know, with, uh, what's the name of the Dragon Age Inquisition with all the loot boxes and yeah. weird gameplay, uh, like graphics engine and stuff and Anthem, it's not going to be any good. It's just, it's just not like if it is, I'm putting my hopes low and if it's good, then it, it'll be more enjoyable. And then if I had high standards and then it came out crappy like destiny do
1: yeah see like i made the mistake of pre-ordering uh mass effect uh i still haven't played it i still plan on playing it (laughs) one of my buddies (laughs) he he told me it's like yeah dude like it's pretty good like get through it and it's fine it's not the greatest but it's fine and i was like well you know not to seem entitled but i'm upset that i paid full price for a game i knew nothing about and it turns out to suck you know, some of my favorite Mm -hmm. games I didn't pay full price for, you know, and I like to commit to a game full price and even a collector's edition when there's a reasonable amount of expectation and kind of to build on top of what you just said about Bioware and them, it's just that they don't seem organized anymore and then the the constant hiring and firing, like I know there's a lot of talk about that on the internet but a lot of it's factual, a lot of the senior, like portions of the team constantly keep leaving and coming back. And it's like, well, that's, that's bad news. If people keep leaving, why, why are they coming back? And it it doesn't sound like they're committing. Yeah. They're not committing to the, you know, to the work that they're doing there. So, I mean, it's just severely disorganized.
2: And, you know, think of destiny. Mm Mm-hmm. If you read, have you read that one from Jason Swire, uh, the Kotaku article, the messy development of Destiny? Have you read it? Yeah, actually, yeah. It's a great, great article. Yeah. Um, he's a, he's a fantastic journalist. Uh, and he's not a journalist where he re- reviews a video game. He's like an investigative journalist who talks about yeah actual game development. I have huge respect for him. Um, and so basically, he's talking about how. Basically, the senior leadership was like. Didn't like the story. Didn't like how it was linear. Basically, didn't like how the story wrapped up. They didn't they didn't leave it super open. Like kind of like, you know, came and like, oh, the story's over.
3: Mm-hmm. You
2: know? They're like, well, we don't like that. We want like an open story where we just keep adding on. And it's like, and the, uh, uh, Joseph Stanton was like, oh, this is the story I wrote. And they're like, nah. And basically, they re-stitched together back the game.
3: Hmm.
2: And the game, that's why it was so short. Like, apparently, like, uh, you know the Taken King, you know the where you're on the ship, yeah. In Saturn, that was originally in the game. It wasn't DLC. Huh. If you read about it, it was Jupiter, which is uh, oh, yeah. the Taken King. Uh, so we got they had a what was it? Uh, what Was the planet Titan? They had Titan originally. They had the European Dead Zone. They had that place. They had Mercury. They had like, like they had like close to 10 different locations you could go to. And the story would go through each one of them like a chapter base, you know? Mm-hmm. It wasn't open world, but it was more of a like kind of open world. And you could just join in like just Halo. But you could just join in on the internet anytime, anywhere, you know? And that's how it was building up to be. And with a story that would conclude with you killing the traveler because it was evil. And, you know, they could have kept writing after the story. With a good writer, where Joseph Staten is a good writer, mm-hmm. and then they just fired. He basically quit because he's like, "This is stupid," and then they fired uh, the composer, and then half the senior leadership left. Wow. And then basically, uh, the CEO of Bungie, the founder, and then uh, Luke, Luke, uh, whatever his name was, uh, the director taking King of Destiny two, basically he, him, and then. Uh, uh, the lead uh, art designer got together and then basically restructured the other in the game. In the course of like six months to like a year, they kind of rebuilt the entire game, the story, and apparently the engine was utter shit. Like, it was like if you wanted to change, like, you know, one of those beacons two feet away, it would take over a day to move it because of the engine was so badly made. Wow. And so, it's like this whole thing that they, they didn't plan it out from at the beginning. The story, like, the story people didn't, like, they came up with this huge story, and then, like, no, this sucks, and then there's just this whole thing, just huge fiasco. And the game, you know, now you play it, it's like, doesn't make any sense. Nothing makes sense. Why is this here? Why is that there? Why is that. What, what's even the story?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And I, I love the lore, because the lore is based upon Joseph Stanton's original story. And. I have these two books. A fan made them. Mm -hmm. Bungie doesn't deserve their fans. This man, here, let me grab him real quick. Oh, one second. Okay, here they are. They're fan made books, two of them. And they're lore books. They're about, let me see, how big are they? About 200 pages each, two of them, and they're just full of lore and art that this guy has compiled, all the lore, you know, for the good side and the bad side of the universe and all the planets and all the little aspects of every little entry and stuff, Mm -hmm. and he put all the high, high, uh high-resolution concept art and in-game screenshots and stuff. And I got the cover, and I bought them. $115 for both of them. I got them on sale. Hmm. Uh, And I had to get them custom printed. I designed the cover for him. And uh, they're amazing books, and the lore is so rich, and the universe is there, and it's not fulfilled. The gameplay, the design is not fulfilled, and it's just, just sad. It's just like... Yeah, yeah. We name this podcast Mitchell Grants about destiny because it's just <laughs> no, something. And, and, and so, yeah, and so it's just
1: out. it's it's one of those things that we kind of have to live with, right? Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. Nothing it, It's, can do about it's it. just to pile on the disappointment of things that have potential but are, you know, essentially ruined by the powers that be. Mm-hmm. You Yeah. Know, and I couldn't, like, for you know, just to kind of throw another example, MGS5 is one of the biggest disappointments of my entire life. And I can say that with absolute certainty because I I couldn't tell you how much I was looking forward to MGS5. Um, and I felt like I had the rug pulled from under me because it's lacking in everything, not because I expected a specific game, but because I was... Waiting for something new, right? It didn't look like any of the other MGS games. It obviously didn't feel like it. It's it plays wonderfully. It it is it's a technical achievement, but mm-hmm. there's no lore. Yeah, there's it, when you really think about it, it, there's fucking nothing. Yeah, it gives you a couple of ideas, and you can see like, well, the way it was presented, it's not great, but it's also not bad. I would want mm-hmm. to see where it could have gone if it was if it you know reached its max potential. But again, the powers that be are what caused this issue. And yeah. with Fucking Destiny, uh I really wanted to get into the lore, but I just couldn't because after playing uh I don't know, maybe a couple of months, maybe two months in of mm-hmm. consistent playing it's just like uh I started to lose sight of why I enjoyed playing it because mm-hmm. uh, a lot of stuff started getting repetitive and not in the, like, grind for a good payout, but in the sense that, like, I'm in the same place but doing a different mission? Like, I don't I don't understand why because I'm, mm-hmm. I'm pointing and shooting the same things. Like, I don't see a real change here. Uh, yeah. So I started getting confused and lost, so then I just uh, eventually stopped. Yeah. And then my buddy was just like, oh, dude, are you going to get Destiny 2? And was like, I don't know, man. Like, I... I I nah. have such a hard time with one that I don't I am not i don't think I'm ready for that and he was he bought it played it non-stop for about three months and then he got he, he stopped for the yeah. same exact reasons that
2: uh, you did I stopped mid-October like, well, mid mid to late-October I think I stopped playing completely mm. I did I, and this time I said you "No, know what I'm just gonna hold off with the DLC because I bought the DLC one pack version yeah uh, for the original and you know It was a big disappointment, but the game was so fun, and I met people on there that I was friends with, you know. Yeah. And it was it was a fun game. Then just just like, and I think that it's just like just disappointments in recent years. You know, Metal Gear Solid Five, a great game. It's so much fun to play. The gameplay is amazing. It's just the story is just not there. It's like I feel like it's oh man, it's building up to something. It's building up to things. Like okay, it's over. Yeah. Wait, what? Biggest fucking letdown like, of my life, man. And just like, is, what do you mean it's over? Like, yeah. it's just, what do you mean? It's, I'm Big Boss? What the What the fuck is this? Yeah, like, remember is the this? Red Band trailer? Uh with the kids and like, what happened to that? And then the Burning Village? I was like, holy shit, I'm going to burn out a village and shoot some children. This is insane. Yeah, and, and that trailer is, that trailer alone
1: is a fucking masterpiece. Like, I can still watch that trailer and get more teared up for that than the actual game and that's saying something you know like you can tell that there's some potential there there's something that we're never going to know there's something that's just never going to really see the light of day uh, for whatever and we're never going to know why yeah just like with destiny like we can point fingers we can you know every investigative journalist in the world can look into it but really what, what it comes down to is Something was lost. And when something is lost, there's no making sense out of it or trying to find it. When it's when it's truly lost, I mean. Yeah. and It, it just sucks. And it really pears down on the disappointment. But you know what? Let, let's move forward from the disappointment here. I feel like we're taking a... Yeah. We're taking a... A sad turn. A ra- yeah, a rabbit hole here. So we have on our topics today, Mr. Stanley Kubrick. Ooh. And I know you've been looking forward to talk about this because uh, before we started recording, uh, you did mention how many movies have you watched?
2: I've watched three of his, but I watched them in about two days. Uh, no, I've gone out and made my own movie course for mm-hmm. all the directors that we're studying and some more ones. Uh, because we're going to be watching, I'm watching more films from each director that we're going to discuss every week. Yeah. And uh, I've created a list on my Twitter, on my uh, letterbox. And basically, each list has a group of uh, four films from the director that are considered their best. their are magnum opuses. Yeah. No. All Stanley right. Kubrick, I had 2001, Clockwork Orange, Full Metal Jacket, The Shining. And I had George Miller, Dave Lynch, so and so forth. I had movies for them. Mm-hmm. But, so basically, for Stanley Kubrick, I had Odyssey... Puckered Orange, which I didn't watch because I didn't have time to, and I couldn't find it uh, to stream it or buy it uh, in time. Yeah. Uh, *Film* *Jack* and then *The Shining*. So. Okay,
1: because I've Basically. seen I've seen quite a few of his, but like which one is your favorite standing now,
2: and uh, why? The three I've seen um, *The Shining*. It uh, it has a very specific thing to it. It's the sense of it's following. Uh, uh, Danny, you know yeah. the little kid, and so a lot of the cinematography is from lower angles or from mirrors.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: As there's that one scene where uh, you know Jack is laying in bed, and uh, what's her name, his wife, uh, comes in with food, but it's it's the whole thing being filmed in the reflex, uh, reflection of a mirror,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and you know, uh, or the, the angles are low and looking up at the people instead of da- uh, looking at head level and the sense of the child is telling the story. And, you know, the, the cinematography is very uh, symmetrical, you know? And, it, you know, there's the one scene, you know, that they're turning in the hall where they see the two girls, you know? Yeah. And the reason why that's so perfect is that you see him stop. You see him stop. Mm-hmm. And you see his shock. And you know there's something there. And it makes it scarier than a scare, because, you know, something's coming. Mm-hmm. And you don't know what it is, and you can see he's scared. And you don't know what it is, and it scares you. Mm-hmm. And as you turn around that corner, you see the two twins. After you've heard about the uh, two girls dying, and, uh, and then it just flashes between them being murdered in the hallway and to them standing there until he freezes and covers his eyes. And then he opens them, and they're gone. Mm-hmm. And there's scenes like that It just that just have this sense of wonder to them, the sense of childlike fear and childlike wonder to them, of exploring, of finding things you don't understand.
1: Yeah, and And I think uh, think there's a lot of influence there uh, just in some of the Death Stranding trailers. Uh, Mm -hmm. And one of the things about Kubrick that I really enjoy is he uses, uh, just to elaborate on what you were saying, He uses this sort of, this element of simultaneously the fear of the unknown, but not letting anything happen. It's that anticipation, that building of anticipation, just like what he did in, uh, what Kojima did in PT. You're in that hallway and you're walking and you feel that tension and you don't know where it's coming from because you don't know what's going on. But you can't see anything and you're not really aware, but it's just the sounds and you're extremely sensory because you're looking for something. You're looking for something that'll give you an indication of what's about to happen. But because you don't know, you get that. It's not even frustration. It's just anticipation and it causes this indescribable fear, Mm -hmm. you know, and in its own right, that is horror at its finest.
2: And I liked how he, with PT, he didn't have to do spooky dolls or jump scares. He had a few of them, but that's not what made it scary. Yeah. You know? It's like you're going through the hallway, you're like, oh no, what's going to be there? Oh, nothing. The
1: freaking door down creaking. The, the door creaking is scarier yeah. than the jump scares.
2: Yeah, and then you walk down the stairs and you open the door and, like, I'm back in the same place. And there's a sense of familiarity to it. But it's off. That's what makes things scary. Mm-hmm. Is that it's familiar. Everything seems normal, but something seems off and you can't point it out. Mm-hmm. And it's the sense of, you know, you ever been, you know, chilling on your bed or just out in public. And then you see, I forgot to do something. And you can't remember what it was.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And then you're stressed out and you're like, what is happening? What, what did I do? What did I forget? What did I forget? Until you remember, like, oh my God, you know, I left the oven on at home. You know, but before you remember what that was, all you remember is that you forgot something or you did something wrong and you're sitting there freaking out. Mm -hmm. And PT had that sense of, this is the same room, but something's different. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: And you don't know what's different and you have to investigate and then you hear and you look around and the door's creaked open. Scariest part in the game. And Mm -hmm. Kubrick does the same thing with, you know, uh, the Shining, you know, he built up this story, you know, and the story can attest to also uh, victims of uh domestic abuse, you know. Yeah. And that's a big thing of it, you know. You, you just like, yeah, just get out of there, run away, just get in the car, run away. But it's not as simple as that. It's if not. Yeah. If you've been in a, if you've known people with who've lived through uh, domestic violence, or, or if you've been uh, in domestic violence cases like that. You know, it's not as simple as just run away. It's yeah. like, this was like, you know, it's like, just like, be smarter. It's like, you can't just tell someone to do something. They just, like oh, why didn't I think of that? You know, and it's just like, they can't, they're trapped. They're trapped. They can't get out. They don't know what to do. You know, when he, when she confronts him and he's walking at her, she mm-hmm. has all the chance to kill him and she's just crying saying she needs to think. She needs to think and he's just, he's mocking her. He says you've had all your life to think what what's more than a few minutes gonna give you you know it's just that constant uh, diminishing her uh, her personhood and insulting her you know and then just this tension building up as you know uh, over the over the course of the movie and you know you spend the whole movie in the in the you know. In this hotel, and you get a sense of familiarity, and then as things start going unraveling into this horrific sense of what the fuck, you know? Yeah,
1: yeah, and that's you the thing, man. With what's it, happening. I mean, have you? So I'm assuming you just watched this, the movie, but you—I'm assuming you haven't read the book either.
2: I haven't read the book. And I know it's different.
1: Yeah, it, it is different, but the a lot of the themes and the way Kubrick shot this film is very it's it follows the book closely and it it's just it's kind of crazy because when when you're when you're talking about how do, the domestic violence aspect of the film it is essentially the same thing in the book um but there's more thematic pieces and story driven pieces that kind of follow it along so for example um the whole idea of the shine you know uh kind of comes from doesn't come from It, it 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 not only lives in the shining it lives in some of the it actually in the the book it the some of the kids that are being targeted by Pennywise they also have the shine uh Carrie she has the shine if you read any of the uh any of uh what's his name why am I forgetting his name Stephen King? Yeah, all of his books, a lot of them are connected. And he's built this universe. And one of those connecting lines is the shine that some of these kids have. And the common element that all these kids have is they're all victims of domestic violence. Mm -hmm. And because they're all victims of domestic violence, they have this shine. They have this power because in their suffering, they've been forced to learn to be better people. And they have that power. That's where the shine comes from, because mm-hmm. they are essentially forced to learn what's right from wrong, and they behave in a way that allows them to, you know, to, to act towards the greater good. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the themes of a lot of stories. And but it's just it's just so well done in The Shining, in in yeah. the in the film, and it's a, and Kojima did it with Solid Snake. You know, the begrudging grunt um, who, he, he never had a, an easy life, but he always chose the right path. And that's interesting. <laughs> you know, and he, he was also a victim of domestic violence and, as a child. And they, he hints at it, it it's, you know, I don't even know if the comics are can, but they, they hinted that. And then even the first game for the, the PS1, you know, he, he refuses to talk to Merrill about his family. Because he has no family, right? But he was raised by a lot of people. But it's not a happy topic for him. He just leaves it at that. And same thing with uh, with Liquid Snake. It's just very clear um, that, and this is gonna set, and this is a a wide like I don't mean this to be a blanket statement, but um, when you suffer that much at such a young age, it essentially forces you. To make a choice. Either you're going to be a product of that. Or you're going to have the shine.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And it's it's just it's freaking crazy. And just to take. How one little idea. Can be reflected in just the way. A scene is shot. And the way the story is driven. It's amazing. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. It's just like the whole film. And the, the thing is. Is that. The whole movie can be interpreted many, many ways, you know. Oh, yeah. It's just with the last final shot, you know, of of the hotel, which we've been through like a trillion times. And we're going down there, and we take this one shot going right through the lobby. It goes, and zooms into that photo and shows the date of Jack in front of a lively party at 1922. I was like... And it brings up this question: it's like, was he a ghost? Mm-hmm. You know, or w- was he possessed? Did he come here to kill them? Was he there and then something told him to kill him? Were they just feelings he had and then he was just pushed to, like a devil speaking in his ear? Mm-hmm. You know, whispering, whispering false truth? You
1: Is know? he crazy in general? Like, it just.
2: Yeah. Like, yeah. What, like, what, what? What made him kill what made him want to kill them? Did was he planning on it? Was he possessed? Was he a ghost? Was mm-hmm. this his in, like did he bring them here to kill them? There's a sacrifice, there's just something deeper in the hotel. You know? And that's the that's the beautiful nature of the shining and you know it's it's and the same thing with 2001. one. It's like it can be interpreted in many ways, and that's why I love Annihilation. And you know, Annihilation might not be a perfect movie. But it's better than most, and I think it's a damn good one. You know, have you seen Annihilation?
1: I I still haven't. Um, I was slated to watch it the other day, but I got caught up. Yeah, that's fine. Oh, man, I really want to see that. Uh, and the funny it's, thing is, um, actually, I just finished reading V for Vendetta the other day. <clears throat> uh, I haven't seen the movie. I started to watch it with a buddy of mine, but I was just like, nah, dude, I can't. I, I want to reread it just because the book left me, well, the graphic novel, it left me, it, it, I was confused. It, it, Nothing was very clear, uh, and it's very, uh, the story's sporadic in, in the sense that it's not clear, I mean, have you seen the movie or read V for Vendetta?
2: I've seen the movie, but it's been a long time that I just can't remember.
1: Yeah, so like, I just don't understand why V does the things that he does. I mean, I know he's vengeful, but he preaches freedom, and it's just like, okay, well, in this post-democracy fascist society, like I, it, it some of it makes sense, but the way he treats Evie, the girl, she is just—it doesn't um, makes sense. And. Maybe maybe that's my problem. That's what my friend was saying. Maybe the problem is that I'm trying to make sense out of something that doesn't make sense. But
2: that's like a, a character not following an arc. Yeah. You know, the character is supposed to be you know wise and kind, but then it makes a stupid decision. Or yeah, you know, and... it's preaching you know freedom, and then you know or you know all life is precious, and then like let's kill the dictator. You know. Yeah,
1: and, like, and that's what's that so bizarre because. You know, with with a character like the Joker, for example, in The Dark Knight, he it's very clear. It it makes sense, even though it's in like pure insanity, it makes sense. And with V and V for Vendetta, it's confusing to say the least. Yeah, but uh, that's just another reason I, you know, I want to watch Annihilation just to kind of steer clear. Of what I've been consuming lately. Uh, Not to say that they're related at all. But. A couple of my friends who have. Not only recommended V for Vendetta. They're like oh if you like that. You're going to like Annihilation. I was like well. Now I want to understand why.
3: Because nobody can
1: give me a, a perfect or clear. Like nobody can give me a clear description. Of what V for Vendetta is. And. I think I'm starting to discover that maybe that's why it's so good because nobody really understands it, but they try really hard to, and everybody says something different.
2: Well, I, I, when I watched it, I didn't like it, and I had kind of the same problems with, like that. Like I can't remember like scene for scene, you know. Like some people can, yeah. You know, but I just remember it. Just things didn't make sense, you know. Like I like you said, and. You know. people say, like, oh, no, it didn't feel intentional. It didn't make sense. There's a difference between putting mystery and intrigue and having an open ending and then having a messy movie that doesn't make sense.
1: Yeah, everything happens very quickly, and it's the same in the graphic novel.
2: And it's just like, it's, you know, it it just doesn't make sense. And sloppy storytelling, I think people are mistaking sloppy storytelling for you know uh in like people the you know directors that uh had an intent behind their missing details or you know or adding a detail that wasn't there before yeah know? annihilation uh this doesn't really sto- spoil some story parts but just you know in a ta- in the thing in the movie a character has a tattoo on their arm Mm-hmm. in in the uh in this part. And then five minutes later they have a tattoo on their arm and then the next minute they don't have it. And another character has a tattoo. And then fifteen minutes later no one has that tattoo. And then next minute everyone has a tattoo. I was like, wait, why and and it's not like it's not like a continuity error, like, oh dang, we forgot that. It was intentionally put in there as a as a a way to intrigue the viewer. Because when you watch the movie, everyone in the theater has a different idea.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: And the same with 2001 and The Shining and The Thing, you know?
3: Mm -hmm.
2: What makes those movies special is that every time you watch them, you get something new out of it. You understand something different, you know? I think that a mediocre movie is a movie they say, that was great, and then never watch again. Mm -hmm. That's what a mediocre movie is. It's not that it's a bad movie. It's just that there is no reason to watch it again. No, yeah. Dunkirk. I was like, "Oh man, that's a good movie," and I never bought it on Blu-ray, and I never saw it in theaters again. Hmm. And even though I loved Christopher Nolan, it's just something about it. Just and it's not like I hated the movie. I thought it was a good movie. It's just that I mm-hmm. don't have any interest in watching it again. I got everything I, got, I needed to get out of the movie. You know, there's no need to watch it again. Mm-hmm. There's nothing more I'll learn from it. It's the, it's a pretty linear story. It's pretty simple story yeah and that might be because it's a historical drama but you know you I think a great film What separates a good film from a great film is the sense of going back and discovering something you didn't notice before you know Mm -hmm. I watched uh, I watched Blade Runner 2049 four times in theaters and then about six times on blu-ray hmm it's my, my favorite is my favorite film from last year. And every time I watch it, I notice a different detail. I notice a sign that kind of played into this part or this universe or, you know, with these themes. Or, you know, maybe a character has a different motivation than I just didn't think of it at first, you know. Yeah. And, you know, Stanley Cooper does just amazing in 2001, you know. In 2001, uh, I can't really... I, I want to talk about it without spoiling the ending.
1: Oh, no, you can go ahead and spoil 2001 because I've seen... I've seen most of it in bits and pieces. It's just hard for me to put them all together. So I just need to rewatch it in its entirety. So feel free to spoil it.
2: So the whole story is basically, um, uh, from I got, from from my interpretation, is a man, uh, conflict between man and machine Mm -hmm. and the evolution of man, you know, man meets machine, machine gives man tool, you know? machine goes away man raises uh, grows up man makes machine you know man man gives machine tool of knowledge man gives the machine intelligence machine turns on man and you know that's kind of like the next evolution man is their time is up you know an AI system is taking over
3: Mm -hmm.
2: another sense of oh it's SkyNet it's more of this machine was given a certain mission, and it was only f- to to do was fulfill that at any cost necessary. Think of um, Mother, you know, mm-hmm. or uh, what's his name from Alien. You know the 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 alien an uh, alien the the android guy. What was his name? I don't remember. Well,
1: I haven't seen he, Alien in a long time.
2: You know know the robot guy I'm talking about, right? Yeah. What's his name, Shepard? No. It's not like that. Well, basically, he gets orders to keep the alien life form alive at all costs necessary. And then he starts killing people.
3: Mm -hmm. And
2: the same thing with HAL 9000 is that, you know, it's supposed to be about this computer and man. Man versus technology, man versus tool, you know. And you can see that. The first thing man, the first thing man used was the stick, the bone. Yeah. In 2001, he gets the bone, he's just beating them to death, beating all the other monkeys. He learned from the machine. And the next thing we learned how to do was the rope, the tool, creating a fire with a stick, you know, using a rock to open up a seed. And, uh, in the whole movie, and, you know, I still don't have all my thoughts on it. You know, I- I'll watch it again and I'll get something completely different out of it. And i will like, Oh, I didn't think about that. You know? Yeah. And it's so new, fresh in my mind still, even though, uh, you know, the ending is just completely, you know, a man sees his own life, like, and then gets reborn. So in the ending, basically, he goes where the signal is coming from and then his ship goes through the portal or thing, black hole. I don't even know what it was. Basically, he goes through time and basically this huge scene where it's just like beautiful, beautiful imagery. It's just like, so imagine what LSD's on, you know, what it feels like. Yeah. And he goes that, and then he, he's in a room and he opens up his pod and he sees himself old. And then you go to the spirit of the old man and there's no ship there.
3: Hmm.
2: And the old, older version of him goes in the bathroom, looks in the mirror, and says, looks at his face. And then he walks out because so he hears something. And he sees an old man at the table where the ship was, where there's nothing before, eating. And he drops something and he turns out and he bends on the ground and he looks behind him and looks in the doorway And he looks to the doorway and the man's gone. There was no version of him. And as he's eating, he knocks down a cup and breaks it. And he looks over and he sees in the bed. Even an older version. This time sickly in bed. Laying in bed. And it cuts the perspective of the old man in the bed. And the man in the chair is gone. And the only thing in the room is the black monolith. The man dies. And then in the room is a baby. And the last scene is the baby looking at Earth on the horizon of Earth. And the movie ends.
3: Hmm.
2: And it's like, what do you take from that? Did he live through all of his life? What are the monoliths? Were they sent by humans? Are they sentient you know what are the monoliths? I think that's the big question. But what do you think the monoliths are? And that's not rhetorical. I'm asking you, what do you think they are?
1: I have no idea. Uh, but maybe Neither that's maybe maybe that's just another play on that uh, that f- not just the fear of the unknown, but that you know that to call wonder. back to that wonder, right? Yeah. Um, this sense I, of awe. Yeah, uh, because not knowing isn't necessarily always fear. But it's those unanswered questions that kind of rekindle that want for answers. And when we want answers but can't get them, we fill in the gaps. That's just the way we operate.
2: Yeah. We try to make sense of it. Like, you know, we we've comprehended everything we have until this point. And when we see something we, we don't understand or we don't fully comprehend we try to
1: make it Makes, understandable by so using something yeah. that we do know. And instead
2: of so trying to understand it, we try to fit what we know, which we try to fit it into a block. It's like fitting a square into a circle.
1: Yeah. You know? It's essentially what I've been doing with V for Vendetta. Um yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And it's crazy. So I definitely wanna get my hands on two thousand one A Space Odyssey and give that another go. Uh, yeah, they the,
2: they're doing a four K Blu ray uh oh. for sixty dollars. On uh, Amazon, I think it comes out April. We well, you know it might be May. Yeah,
1: I'll probably just rent it uh, if anything. But uh, did you watch a uh, Clockwork Orange?
2: I haven't watched. It. I wasn't. Uh, I didn't have enough time to. Yeah, I couldn't find. I, could, I couldn't long. find anywhere to stream it. I couldn't find anywhere to stream it, and I couldn't find a. I didn't. I couldn't find a, a place to buy it. So I was just like. Uh, yeah.
1: It's it's a very I, long I, I, film. By the way. I don't
2: like. I don't like buying. Uh, I don't like buying online, not like not like buying online, but like buying digital. Yeah, I like buying physical. Yeah, I just I'm the like same. Physical because I'm the same with digital, one. you're only buying a license to watch the movie. You don't own the movie when you yeah, buy a DVD or a Blu-ray. And if they you remove the license the
1: from their shop, you won't be able to download it again. Yeah,
2: or you won't be able to stream it. You know. Yeah, which is kind of weird and stupid. You know, I mean.
1: Yeah. Well, it's because, you know, the internet is essentially a It's become a service. So it, it makes sense, but, you know, it's still ridiculous. I agree. But it, if and when you do watch Clockwork Orange, um, be prepared. It is a very long film.
2: How long uh, is it with the. Man, I don't remember
1: it. Now it's. Let's see. Let's use the Google. Assuming that we can say that. Uh, it is. Two hours and 17 minutes long. But it's not because it's actually two hours that makes it seem long. It's a very slow-moving film. Um, Full-burning? Huh?
2: Like a slow-burning. Is, is, it yeah. starts out smaller and then it keeps building, building, yeah. building, building until he finally gets to the breaking point.
1: Yeah, and, and it's it's exactly that. Um, just like his other films, there's, there's a tension there. An unknown tension. You don't understand... Why this character behaves the way he does. You don't understand why he makes the choices he does. But you're along for the ride. And you want to understand more. And the end, you still don't understand. There's a huge... And, and that's kind of like his trope. You know, just like a Wes Anderson, he has his tropes of his films. Kubrick has his tropes. Whether it's at the beginning or at the end of the film. There's always that sense of... I don't understand what happened. And I'm going to try my fucking hardest to understand what happened... And, yeah. we're, and we're going to have conversations about this because um, that interpretation changes with each individual. Yeah. So, you know, I'm going to leave it yeah. at that for Clockwork Dude. Orange because I actually really enjoyed it. The second time I watched it, the first time I watched it, I was, just, you know, it was a lot to take in. Yeah. It's kind um, of like,
2: you like you need to kind of watch it again to fully understand what it is.
1: Yeah. And so Full Metal Jacket, what'd you think of that?
2: Full Metal Jacket? I liked it. I liked the uh, soundtrack. There wasn't one part in the soundtrack, uh, when they're with the, the female sniper, the little girl, Mm -hmm. you know, and for some reason the, the soundtrack reminded me so much of a, of a, what's it called? It reminded me so much of, um, Death Stranding for some reason. And I don't know why. Hmm. And it's this weird, uh, it's just like this weird feeling, like invoking a weird sense of it, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, but, it, but it's you know, I, go ahead. So basically, what I've gotten from Kubrick is, except for uh, Full Metal Jacket, which is just more of a historical take on it, you know. Yeah. And so I think I think I think it's a great movie. I think it's one of his best films, but out of all the ones I've seen, I think it's the weakest. Hmm. Of the sense of um, longevity of it, and it's not like I didn't like it. it was an amazing movie. It's mm-hmm. phenomenal than a lot of things that come out now, you know. Uh, but, you know, you know, I think I just, I'm a, I'm a sci-fi guy, you know. Uh, I, I like historical, I like historical stuff, you know. But, you know, you can't really go, you can't really put, you know, a weird concept or foreign concept into uh, a war film. Mm-hmm. The, the best thing you can do with a war film is tell an accurate story and create great characters, which they did, you know? Yeah. The story of photographers, uh, what's his name? The guy at the boot camp who uh, killed the, the, the general.
1: The drill sergeant. The drill sergeant, the drill serge- yeah. It's the, it's the, the like, guy who plays um, Fisk in the Daredevil series now.
2: I don't watch Marvel, so oh, man. I don't know.
1: It, it, Daredevil's the one Marvel show I actually recommend. I'm uh, just...
2: There's like the CW Supergirl, and then oh no, no, even, even Dare- with even even with the Marvel stuff, you know, like the Marvel. Yeah, I, but I'm saying, like Daredevil is
1: because it's it's Netflix only. It's it's it pushes boundaries that CW shows and Agents of Shield like it doesn't it doesn't even come close to that stuff, man. Like that stuff is garbage comparison to season one and two of Daredevil. Just give it a, if if you do get a chance, give it a shot, at least an episode That's- or two, because it's I- it's. It doesn't fuck around. I'll just... I'll leave it at that. Yeah. Um, But the guy who plays Wilson Fisk, um, he plays Private Pyle in Full Metal Jacket. And, you know, the guy who goes crazy and kills the drill sergeant. Um, But it's... One of the things that Kubrick does with his character, though, it's... It's a it's a interesting dynamic to me, and it's one of the things I essentially obsessed over when I first watched the movie, uh, and I still have our have a hard time articulating exactly what happened because it, it makes sense that he threw himself into the for whatever reason. Why did he join the military in the first place? Right? Why did private Why was Private Pyle there? That's never answered. We don't know that. We don't know anything about him outside of he's nuts. He was predisposed to being crazy. From the first scene that we see him in, it's just in his demeanor. But why was he there? We know why he was driven to kill the drill sergeant. We know his motivation behind it all because he was just his soul was broken down more than it already was. I still can't figure out why he was there in the first place.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And I mean, that's that says a lot about how people behave because that happens to people. It's it's Extremely possible, and that's you know that's a whole other you know can of worms. But just why was Private Pyle specifically here? Why did Kubrick throw him into this film? Because he's a driving force for the better half of the you know first quarter, maybe the first quarter of the film. Yeah. But why?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I still don't know, and it's honestly one of my favorite parts of the film, just because it deals with the psyche of. These young men. It deals with the soul crushing, monotonous, just behavioral patterns that you have to have in the military. The, you know, it, all of that stuff. They pay their dues and then in the end they come out to whatever they want to be, right? They have no shame. They have camaraderie and loyalty, but Private Pile was the exception to that rule. They tried, but it just didn't pan out. I don't know. It, it's just, it, it's crazy. And yeah. I, I'm really curious to see what, uh, uh, Kojima is heavily influenced. The more and more I think about it by Kubrick's cinematic style, you know, the, the, the really close shots, the very, um, the very kind of looming, just, a not not to say that this is an exact, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, like he didn't like he tried to replicate Kubrick in this, but in the MGS five, one of the trailers and and some of the scenes that were in the final game were reminiscent of shots in The Shining, right? He's heavily influenced by some of these, um, but do you think he takes anything outside of the cinematography? any of the theme pieces, any of the character, you know, any of the, uh, if you want to call them character flaws, do you, do, do you think Kojima has used or will use them in any future characters?
2: Um, That's an interesting one. I'm trying to think of the three films I've seen if any of them have been used. Um, I think that he doesn't just take from one character. Mm-hmm. I think Kojima takes from multiple different characters and what he likes from certain types of heroes and kind of makes forms his own kind of deal it's inspired by other characters and creates his own characters that are interesting yeah and unique to the story you know that aren't just you know you know forgettable oh, I'm a tough guy you know when you try to talk you know there was at a point when there was the tough guy who had no fear and that was interesting and that was unique and then after a while after it just kept being reused reused, it's just boring. It's a boring character. It's a boring archetype.
1: Yeah, we and went from Rambo to Mission Impossible, and look how that ended up, right?
0: Ugh.
2: And, uh... Don't get me started. Uh, but, uh... You know, it's just... You have this nature to it, where... A story... You know, he takes these characters from different stories, and he, like, that he likes, like, different attributes from them. And then he pieces them all together and he makes this new puzzle. And it's not like he's, it's more of like, uh, less of he's taking out a puzzle piece, it's more of he's snipping out pieces of a magazine and forming his own little article. Yeah. And he's creating these characters on his own with a unique, unique sense to them, you know. They aren't as simple as, you know, they aren't really a, a, a one-dimensional character. They each develop and change over time
1: yeah and I'm not saying that he's you know gonna take a carbon copy of one of these characters and just use them, but i I'm just wondering what pieces of these characters would he actually use? you know would he would he take something from private pile for whatever reason would he would he use that kind of characterization to make a compelling horrifying character because private pile he he he's scary as fuck, you know, mm-hmm. and to think that he was in the bunk there. I would have been afraid sitting next to the guy, not because of his demeanor, but because you can tell what he's capable of. And then after they, you know, all hit him with the bars of soap and the socks, he snaps. Right? Yeah. Are we going to see, I hope that we see that kind of breaking point, because that's one of the things that is really hard to convey in video games, right? we never see that kind of stuff and that's one of the things I hope for in MGS5 we all wanted to see Big Boss's breaking point and we didn't get that maybe yeah. we will with that Stranding maybe there will be something but again that's all left in speculation and
2: well right now we just don't know enough about the story but I'm yeah. really hoping for kind of a point when a character is tested you know, their they're, they're, they're merits were tested. A villain, a, a unique, interesting, three-dimensional villain is able to push the, the hero to a, to a breaking point. And yeah, mm-hmm. you're right, we didn't get that Malagrassal Solid 5, you know? We got that Malagrassal uh 3. That's a great example of him refusing to kill the boss because it's just, that's like his best friend. That's his mother like figure,
3: you
1: know. Mm -hmm.
2: And it's just like kill her. Yeah. And then even all of the the bosses in
1: that game. All the bosses in that game were three dimensional too and they all have their own Yeah. Their own separate stories.
2: Each one was named after something uh something on the battlefield. Mm -hmm. Sorrow, you know. Hate.
1: Pain. Fear. 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 Pain, yeah.
2: They end I think it was something different because they had a different uh Another game or movie or something like that that has a similar name to it, so they changed it to the end. But it's like each one of them has their own little, uh, you know, nature to them, into a unique sense of it. Yeah, where a character is, you know,
1: yeah. But like I also, it. I also really love how they uh, it got kind of meta with the whole joy of battle thing, uh, just to mm-hmm. call back to MGS1. Because that's one of my favorite lines. The liquid snake just drops uh, yeah. on top of uh, Metal Gear Rex. Yeah. I saw your face when you did it. But yeah, man. Uh, freaking Kubrick. Uh, are those all the movies that you've seen thus far?
2: Yeah, only three. Uh, the Full Metal Jacket, The Shining, and 2001. And so big news, 2001's getting a select theater theatrical release. Really? Mm-hmm. Unaltered.
1: What the fuck?
2: I just saw an article about it posted today.
1: Send me that. I, I definitely want to do that. Because, why not? It's probably one of those movies that you have to watch in the theaters. I think.
2: Yeah. Talking in select theaters on May 18th, Warner Brothers reissued the un Unrestored 70mm print. print. Struck from the new printing elements made from the original camera negative, according to the studio statement via The Wrap, this is the true uh, photochemical film uh, recreation. There's no digital tricks, remastered effects, or revision uh, revisionist edits. That means the movie will be presented uh, in a way as close to Kubrick's original version as possible. The new 70mm will make its debut at the Cannes Film Festival with an introduction from Christopher Nolan. The director called the chance to introduce one of his favorite works in cinema, in all, all its glory, uh, analog glory, in honor and a privilege. A fully restored version of two thousand one will also be made available on DVD, Blu-ray later this year. Revisit, uh, revisit the original trailer below. Hmm. So it doesn't say what theaters will be, but on May eighteenth.
1: May eighteenth.
2: That's we about time. Yeah, we have time. That's about, about what a month and a half. Yeah. Oh, nice. and right after that, about 1 month from that will be E3. Oh, I know. Damn. Wait, no. Wait. Yeah, May, June. Yeah. I June. was like, "Wait, did I get the wrong <laughs>
1: <laughs> No, man, it's going to be I'm just glad that they're not touching it up or doing anything with it like they did with Star Wars. It, God damn it. God. I yep. remember when that when the when Star Wars was re-released with all of the add-ins. Um, which, my which college hers, room, Yeah, my my, the, my college roommate got the thing. whole thing, and he's just like, oh, let's watch them. And the moment he popped it in, is like, we were not happy. He just took it off. He's like, fuck this. We're going to watch the old DVDs instead.
2: <laughs> Jeez, even the old DVDs had uh, stuff with, in them. They Even the old DVDs had uh, add-ins and special effects to them.
1: Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, man. It, it wasn't we, as horrifying as the you know re- special edition yeah the... with just
2: random CGI creatures walking in front of people and random shots for no reason
1: yeah in the yeah, re-release in watch. like what 2012
2: I think Four. it was so there's there's a release in 1997 2004 and then 2011 ah 11 there you go so anything before 2000 uh, sorry anything before 1997 is an original unaltered uh, well nothing will be the theater because this one they in other ones they just had Star Wars and then they had the credits you know yeah and with the uh, VHS release as Star Wars Episode 4 so mm. but it, otherwise it's the exact same movie yeah that's the only difference um, yeah I have the original VHS and the Blu-ray it's just it's like it's it doesn't make any sense yeah and my favorite quote from George Lucas is, "A director that goes back to change their work is ruining it." You know, mm. if a director goes back to a film and tries to change it, he's ruining it. And he said that himself, and then ruined Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> and like, it was like, well, "Don't, don't, just don't think of it." It's like, what? That's, that's not how it works. You don't just like unsee something. It's like forget. It's like once you see it, like you. you'll never forget what CG uh, Jabba the Hutt looks like you know you'll never forget you know those weird creatures walking in front of the screen you know Mm. or random edits to Cloud City or whatever dialogue change of Dagobah for some reason and then we get to The Last Jedi which is like makes the the special editions look good Mm. so much random stuff that doesn't even make any sense in it yeah, it's just, it's just, it's, you know, I've, I've been worn out of Star Wars. It's like, uh, same thing with Destiny. It's like, you, you can only love something so much and they stop, just, and they start disrespecting the fans and start disrespecting you as a person. You get to the point where it's like, eh, I'm just kind of not interested in it anymore. You know?
1: Yeah. The Last Jedi kind of did that for me. Um, The Force Awakens was definitely good. a very good revival, but it, lost. it wasn't
2: unique, huh? Uh, I, I said it wasn't like it didn't tell a unique story. It was just a new hope. I think it did a good job to like revive it. You know, like dang, guys, remember Star Wars?
1: Yeah. yeah, it was a good revival, but the it, it just you couldn't you couldn't follow it up with anything great. Like I still liked the Last Jedi, but um, mm. I don't have the same hype I did when I first watched the the Force Awakens.
2: I think the Last Jedi. It, my problem is not with the story; it's just a lot of the stupid little. Uh, directorial elements that just didn't make any sense. Mm. Too much comedy. And like, what well, you want to... I need to well, have jokes in it. Other movies had jokes. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> it, they also had jokes in them, but they were appropriate. You know? Well, the, this the is thing, the... What?
1: The, the thing for me, though, is Um, I think that it failed at... Giving more to the characters because we saw plenty of Kylo and Rey but it it wasn't it wasn't super compelling because it was it was very short-lived and There was definitely tension But the rest of the like everybody else all the other characters
2: Nothing happened.
1: Yeah, I mean there was a lot happening with Poe and everybody else, uh, you know, trying to run from uh from kylo and everybody else but it's just it felt more like a wild goose chase even though it was pretty straightforward that you know that some heavy shit's gonna go down right it, maybe there's something about that predictability that lost some of its tension because it was almost forced tension than mm-hmm. it being organic
3: mm-hmm.
1: i don't know like i wanted to see more of poe and I and you know even more of Kylo and Rey but it was just really hard for me to commit to their characters at that point. Yeah. Because in Force Awakens they they were able to get, grab my attention and hold mm-hmm. on to it through the whole film and this one was supposed to be the way for them to maintain it, for them to build more and they just didn't do that. Mm-hmm. Cuz one they were separated, you know, uh, Finn and Rey were separated the entire time and it was just, you know, they're they're juggling their characters. And that's a huge risk, I think, when you start juggling characters that don't mesh well unless you have a plan, and it doesn't feel like they had an actual plan.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's just I think the whole film, it just felt, like, slow and then also too fast. You know what I mean? It's just weird pacing. And, you know, like, I feel like 45 minutes of the movie could just be cut out and then the movie would be no different, you know?
1: mm yeah, like the whole uh, running, actually, running away from the Imperials was, yeah, that took a, a really long time.
2: Yeah, and it's just like, nothing ever, nothing nothing happened.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And then everything happened. Yeah. Like, nothing happened until the last 30 minutes of the movie, and then the movie was over. I was like, what? I feel like the, the first hour, the first two hours, you know, were the first, you know, was the first 30 minutes, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like, the, the, too much comedy, you know? And then the whole scene with the the Canto bite scene, which was only added in there, just have stories of like, oh look at the alien, I'm like I don't care. Literally anything looks good now. If you throw enough money at something, it'll look good. Yeah. I don't care about looking good. I like, care about the stories now. If yeah. The story's not good, then I don't care about the visuals. The
3: yeah, and Valerian in and
2: a billion cities or whatever. Yeah. You know, you'll see. Uh, the new Star Wars. It's like, there, there was no vision for it. There was mm-hmm. no vision. And all these directors are now just having their own vision of their own ideas. And they're adding all these characters that don't make sense.
1: You know, And that's the thing. We, and that's kind of a... That's a crazy concept to really grasp. Uh, just the idea that... Let me throw an, throw an example here. I... I really enjoyed the first Transformers movie when it came out. Because it was actually story-driven. Everything that came out after that first one, it, I think, is garbage. The most recent one, The Last Night, I think it's... What was it? is that what it was called?
2: Oh, the Age of Extinction. Which one was it? I
1: don't know. I think it was The Last night. Uh, I went to see that in theaters, and I was severely underwhelmed because the thing about Michael Bay's movies, it's more about the way it looks and the action, right? It's all flashy, flashy explosions, if you will. And sure, that boils down to the type of consumer that you're trying to reach because you and I clearly like our stories. We We like our characterization. We like those things. And Star Wars has been somewhere in between. For a really Mm -hmm. long time, yeah, you know, and it's a matter of balancing that because they're capable of doing that. It's possible. We got that with Pacific Rim, number one. We got that with uh, the first Transformers, actually. And when you lose Star Wars, yeah, yeah, and when you lose that, when you don't have a sense of that balance, then I think that you're not going to win either sides of the audience. But I'm I'm probably wrong because. You know, one of my best friends, she absolutely loved The Last Night, the last Transformers movie. She fucking loved it. And I'm sitting there like why? What was yeah. so great about it? And she couldn't explain it to me. She could not explain to me why she liked it. But it just so happens that she really loves just running, screaming, and explosions. It's just the thing that some people are into. And I don't understand why. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then on the other side, she likes, she loves Marley and Me. You know, she loves you know just real, like romantic comedies. And and everybody has range, so it's just sometimes you like what you like. Um, but it's difficult to let something go when it starts to build on something so great.
2: Mm-hmm. It's just like, it's all downhill from here. Even at the end of the movie, you know. Yeah. And I just like. I see there's a rise in Hollywood with no more character-driven movies. It's all just visual-based. Mm-hmm. Is this weird? Like, Tell me if it's weird, like if I'm weird. I get bored in the Transformers movies and the big visual one-and-a-half-hour action movies, you know? Dude, I'm. it's not weird. I am
1: exactly the same. Uh, well, I just...
2: I'll... But I'll watch something like Blade Runner which is like two hours and 45 minutes and I'll be entertained through the whole thing. As it just builds up its story, you know, and it's mm-hmm. not bombarding me. Is that, you know, weird?
1: No, that's it's it's because you you know what you like, but then on top of that, it's it's, it comes down to how it's being shot. So I recently saw *Wrinkle in Time*, the the new one, right? And it wasn't bad, but I also don't think it was great. And the thing is, they spent you can tell they spent so much of their time and money on the visuals, and some movies. They spend a lot of time and money on their visuals, but they don't linger on them. A Wrinkle in Time, they lingered. And I mean, and I can't emphasize this enough, they lingered on some of these shots. You know those panning shots are like, oh, this is where we are. Every other scene was one of those panning shots that lasted over 35 seconds. And 35 seconds is a long fucking time to linger on one area. It's like, we get it. It's green. Let's move on.
2: Yeah. What's Runner going on that. with the characters? <laughs> yeah, Blade Runner has that, but it's the sense of in the universe. You know, it makes sense for the film because you, it makes watch you the feel, first,
1: like, yeah, it makes you feel what the characters feeling by looking yeah. at what they're looking at. But well, there's other they, yeah. some movies like A Wrinkle in Time don't do that. It's like, oh, it's wondrous, it's beautiful. Is like, is it though? Because you're not showing us the characters' faces, and then they do, but it's more focused on. What's around them, than their expressions.
2: Yeah, it's like what I said about Game of Thrones. You know, like yeah, there'll be two characters talking. There's just be like a naked person in the background. Like, what's even the point of that? Like, and there's just like things in the background that are just distracting you from the actual scene. Yeah, and you know, and I think uh, one person that reviewed it, uh, the 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 movie said it says it's, it's a really good elaborate. Way to show a bunch of music videos <laughs> in a row, uh, loosely connected music videos. Seriously, and I haven't seen it because I just didn't have an interest. Mm-hmm. And it's not like oh you hate women, you know, or you hate black people. Like no, that's not true. No,
1: and, you see, uh, and that's what's funny. That's man. Just it's, like... Just, it's like with Wonder Woman, I did not like it, and yeah. I got I actually got yelled at for saying that I did not like it mm. because inherently is like oh well it, this is a huge step for for women in hollywood it's a huge step for feminism it's like okay wonder woman has always been a front runner of feminism number 1 i'm not bashing wonder woman i'm not bashing gal gadot i'm bashing the the entirety of the film there's yeah. no clear like what were you trying to do with the villain why did this turn into a love story like oh, cause love always prevails. Then like like screw you. You you're completely reversing the whole idea and tenets of Wonder Woman in general. Like mm, the the no. point of the movie is, is lost in translation because it doesn't know what it's doing. It doesn't know where it's going. And then at the last yeah. minute, it decides this is actually a love story with no actual villain. But let's start setting this up for Justice League. And it's just, no, I I, I did mm-hmm. not enjoy it. And again, my best one of my best friends loved it. She cried. When homeboy sacrifices himself, spoilers, if you haven't seen it, I'm sorry, but I, I'm pretty passionate about this one. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and it's just frustrating, you know, to, to have something like that. So, yeah, man, you're in, yeah. entitled to your opinion.
2: Yeah. And it's not like, like I was fighting on someone on Twitter once and, uh, and on Reddit, uh, two different people, but they saying that I didn't like, since I didn't want to go see every content on 10, that I, I didn't like females. In the lead because it uh makes me feel puny my masculinity. I'm like that's not true. It's just it doesn't interest me. I went and saw Annihilation and I loved it. I saw it twice in theaters. Mm-hmm. It's a great movie. And it's not that I don't. It's not like like oh see I like see I watch a movie with a woman in it. It's like more of like no it's not like I don't care. Like I literally don't care who I'm playing. Like if I'm playing a game I don't care who I'm playing as. If I'm watching a movie I don't care who the characters are. Yeah, but that's just, it's just that white, black, Asian, woman, man, woman, child, adult. If they act good and they create a character with good dialogue and a good story and decent visuals, then I like the movie. Yeah, well, it's just that
1: people are projecting, man. It's just a a matter that some people project um, these like idealistic, uh, I guess, judgments on people. Yeah, because it's like, when somebody oh, tells someone. you, yeah, when somebody tells you, it's like, oh, you don't like it. it, it it's I can't remember the the, the term, but there's an actual coined term for this. And a lot of uh, news outlets and interviews interviewers use this tactic where you say something, right? You express your opinion and then they turn back and tell you. So you're telling me and they oversimplify what you're saying and make it negative. And that's what people do just because they not only disagree with what you're saying but they want to force you to agree with them or they want to demonize you and i don't understand why people do that but it's it's Mm -hmm. it's very common so for example if when i told somebody that i don't i didn't like wonder woman and they turn back around and tell me oh so you're not a feminist and it's like okay i'm gonna stop you there because you're putting words into my mouth and you're projecting this idea that has nothing to do with why i don't like the movie.
2: Yeah, you went you went from point A to point C without proving point B. You know? Yeah, and it's, it's they're like,
1: completely unrelated. And when things are completely unrelated, it's just like it's a bad way of arguing. You know, it's just because like, clearly yeah. you're not willing to have a discussion. You just want to project an idea, and that's not yeah. that's not how you have a discussion. Mm-hmm. That's literally yeah. not how you not do not have a discussion. It, you won't get anywhere with that. Um. What I've
2: learned about uh, arguments or a, just a general discussion about ideas with uh, differing opinions I learned this from Monica from Doki Doki Literature Club but mm-hmm. when you're in a debate or in an argument, what you want to do is you want want to make everything seem as objective as possible. Ooh, but that's difficult. that's
1: very difficult yeah, to do
2: It's very difficult to do you know it's very difficult to make something you're passionate about something you know objective. But you want to put the information on the table, you're not shoving it in the person's face, you know, like a piece of food to like eat it. You're sitting on the table and saying, this is my opinion. I respect yours. I understand you enjoyed the film. And these are my reasoning why I didn't enjoy it. And I understand why you enjoy it because of this, this, and this. You might like pickles and onions on your burger, but I like cheese and ketchup on mine. Mm-hmm. And even though we both enjoy burgers, I don't really enjoy those burgers. You know, they're fine. But I prefer these ones with the ketchup. Yeah, and, you know, and don't
1: tell me to eat yeah. it your way, or tell me that yeah. I'm eating it the wrong way.
2: Yeah, yeah. And if you if you don't like it, that's fine. So I'm not gonna get angry at you eating. You know, I'm not gonna go and tell you, oh, that pickle burger and on- that pickle and onion burger is disgusting. I don't know what's wrong with you, you idiot. Because you hate burgers in general because they're ruining it. Can I just say no. that
1: I love burger analogies, and I'm really glad that you started one here.
2: Oh. I fucking love burger
1: analogies. I haven't uh, heard enough I, of them.
2: <laughs> I didn't know there were. Well, uh, now we do. No. You heard no, it, no, it here no, first. We have one.
1: You heard it here first on Death Stranding Yeah, can I get 22. some uh,
2: booyahs in the chat now uh, <laughs> burger analogies? Can I get some burger emojis in the chat? Uh, no, but basically, what you want to do is just basically, if an opinion is like dinner, you put it on the table. You don't feed it to someone. You don't shove it down their throat. You don't go, "Here's an airplane, and smack it in their face." Yeah. You put on the table and say, "This is my opinion. You can take it if you want."
1: But, but if, you okay like it, if, you, yeah. if you don't like it, that's fine. If you don't, it's okay if you don't.
2: Yeah, don't get, you know, Like, I had a girl tell me I was at school. She's like, "Hey, have you seen Amy Schumer's new special?" I'm like, "No, I don't." Uh, I don't like her. Like, and she told me, "You just don't get girl humor." Um. And I'm like.
1: I mean, no, I, I mean, I mean, I have not... arguments against that already. Uh, she steals a lot of her jokes, and I I yeah, tried that, watching that her that new can. special, and I and I kid you not, the first six jokes she told, I knew exactly where she got them from, well, and I turned it off.
2: You know, and even when her jokes aren't stolen, they're just really uncomfortable. They're like, well, it's just because you're not a girl. I'm like, no, there's male comedians and female comedians that make you know they can talk about sex or whatever, or yeah. You know that or growing up or you know periods but they make them more generalized for an entire audience to enjoy so she's making it for one where she just talks about my pussy smells, and the joke is get it because vaginas are gross and that's the whole joke yeah that's not a joke like i was literally watching i watched it and one joke was her talking about like i asked a guy to eat me out and he said no so i threw him off a cliff and then in the next the next joke, she was talking about, yeah. And then I thought I smelled a dead whale in my room. I realized it was my vagina. I'm like, what? Like, yeah. how does this follow the same course of thinking? Like, it's not funny. It's it's gross. Like, I don't like. If I would on a on a if I was a stand up comedian, I was wouldn't go on stage like, you man, are scratched my nuts the other day and I smelled it smelled and it smelled gross. Huh? I'm just it? Cause nuts are sweaty. Like that wouldn't. That's disgusting. And why would anyone want to hear that on stage? You know. and that's where if her her jokes aren't stolen they're disgusting Hmm. and they're unappealing to me as a person and if you enjoy them fine but for me it's just now where i'm kind of a person that uh there needs to be something more than just get it because it's gross yeah you know like we all can relate to that you know
1: and I think it starts to boil down into you know how we prefer our comedy right because yeah. uh, I recently tried watching I not tried I actually finished watching Chris Rock's new special uh, and I did not enjoy it um, mm-hmm. and it's just it's as perfect. as you age your 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 tastes change right you're, you're constantly changing you're not the same person every day uh, and I firmly believe that but um Some of his some of his techniques, I realized that he has always used them and I just don't enjoy them anymore. Um, So, for example, he does this thing where he lingers on a joke. He tells the joke, gets to the punchline and then repeats the punchline six, seven, eight, nine, sometimes even 15 times and essentially wastes 10 minutes saying the same sentence. And I'm not kidding you about that at all and i was just like okay when are we gonna move on to the next joke like because he was telling like a pretty good story but he would stop to repeat the punchline over and over and people were Mm -hmm. still laughing and laughing hard and i was just like i heard it the first three times and it was funny but when you say something enough it starts to lose its meaning but Mm -hmm. you know maybe that says something about how we all are as a society that our, our attention span is getting shorter and shorter and reiteration starts to help but you know that that's that's a whole other conversation we can have.
2: Yeah, you know it's like you know I might like Bo Burnham right now, but you know maybe a couple of years from now I was just like you know why did I even like that? You know. Yeah, and, and it's just as we as we as we grow, as we change, we learn more, and we and we grow apart from our our childhood uh, and our and the person who we were last week, and so as we constantly evolve, so does our sense of humor. You know. Yeah. You know people. You know. You know when you're a kid you watch you know Transformers last night and you go oh, whoa look at that the Transformer fight the dinosaur with the night sword yeah and then you get older and you go oh I don't like that I don't know why I like that I like whatever yeah, it's like it's now. like watching
1: cartoons and as just, an adult man like yeah. you you watch a cartoon that you watched when you were a kid and you're like wow this is awful
2: <laughs> or you go well this is better than I remember.
1: Yeah, it it can go. You know, it
2: might I, it can go either way, or you may be like, or it might be, oh, it's exactly as I remember. Mm-hmm. And you know, you, you change as a person, and
1: yeah, you know, like I tried rewatching the uh, first season of Power Rangers, and man, damn, damn. it is so ridiculously cheesy. Like I would, I could enjoy it a little bit, but it was just super cringy, so I had to stop. <laughs> <laughs> this is
2: like, how did I like this? Uh.
1: But it makes sense, you know, you're a little kid, you love the action, you love the costumes, I mean, it makes sense.
2: You know, the goofy little costumes, but you don't think they're goofy when you're a little kid, you think you're mm. really cool. Yeah. And think that's just as you grow up, you you, just, you get more refined. Yeah. It's like, if you were to have someone that just likes Wonder Woman, you know, if you have them watch, continue watching movies and you have them start out at, you know, the basic, you know, Wonder Woman Transformers and start building them up into deeper, deeper films until you get to, like, you know, art house films you try to put them back in the other films, they might not enjoy them as much as they used to. Yeah. As you grow and you watch more films, you know, when you play video games, you know, you might just like story-based games. But as you play more and more games, you maybe you'll be more interested in, you know, maybe a game that's, uh, like, you know, mechanic-based. And I like a lot of indie games because they're mechanics and they're interesting and they're doing something interesting in than in the mainstream industry,
3: you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: No. So for this oh, this podcast has been talking about half Death Stranding, half movies, which is yeah. kind of part of movies, and, and then, then slightly into comedy Ram. for a second there. Slightly <laughs> into comedy, and then complaining about whatever.
1: <laughs> no, but you know that's that's probably a perfect segue into into Reddit. Have, have yeah. you found anything interesting on Reddit that you want to discuss?
2: On well, Reddit as a whole, uh, there's a post on me IRL. I'm not just kidding. Uh, <laughs>
1: Uh, uh, um, Death no, that's stranding just... related.
2: Oh, oh, God. oh! Just kidding. Um, I don't know, not a lot. Just mostly art. Metal Gear Zero, the Stranding Theory. No, Alex.
1: Yeah, I haven't found really much uh you... action happening on the Reddit. Um,
2: Understanding. Mm. <laughs> Undertale's
1: just, like... gonna make it into Smash Bros
2: sans <laughs>
1: <laughs> no but uh if anything you know like our our handy dandy dis- listeners uh post some questions for us on there man it, it, i i think it'd be beneficial to get some not only feedback but some suggestions just to kind of uh you know we go we go off on a lot of tangents and it's always fun but if there's something specific you like that you guys want us to really dive into uh i'd, I'd look forward to doing we, that that's
2: what we forgot to do yeah and you forgot to make the post you know, I guess Here, we
1: can, I guess we can leave the reddit behind for now but because uh, I know you wanted to talk about some of the other work that you are trying to get your hands in on and we were talking about this before we started recording um kind of about video game conveyance and how the handholding uh, you know and the problems with handholding the the player yeah uh where do you think the balance lies? Like should it just well, be a quick video tutorial or should it be a spaced out tutorial
2: okay so uh, how I think it is is that a game uh, game designers protect you from yourself uh-huh players are stupid as I learned from as a game as I've gone into game design people are do the dumbest things and they don't know how to make games and a lot of them are armchair developers, you know? Mm-hmm. And there's a go go with the whole thing with the EA. But uh, you know, there are actual things, you know. Look up Mario Super Mario look up Super Mario Bros. Level one world one.
1: Hmm.
2: Why am I doing this? uh, I just want to show you an example. Okay. Super Mario Bros. So you can either bring up an an image of it or the. So you can either bring up uh, an image and just zoom into it or Ah. you can actually. Yeah, I got it. Okay. So basically. When you're holding the controller, what's the first thing you think? Even if you're not a gamer, the arrow pads mean move, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, well, then you press the B button. Nothing works. Press the A button. Jump. So what do you see when you see a block that's flashing, and you, all you know how to do is jump? You jump on it, and you hit. Swing! Mm-hmm. And after that, you see the Goomba walking towards you, and you say... Well, and if you try to jump over it, you hit the mystery block and he hits you and you get hurt. And so you understand, oh, he's hurting you. And so you jump on him and hurt him, you know, Mm -hmm. and you might die or you might just jump on him first try. And then you see a mystery block right there and you hit it. The mushroom goes up and it goes down and it falls down and you see it comes towards you like the Goomba. If you try to jump in the underpass as the smaller version of Mario, you can't break the block, and you'll hit it if you try to jump over it and land directly on it. Forces you to grow. Yeah, I see where you're going with this. And it teaches you the three basic mechanics of Mario. Mm -hmm. And that's conveyance. It's conveyance. It's not telling you. It's holding your hand and guiding you through the game. It didn't have to have text. It didn't have to teach you anything. It yeah, taught you with its gameplay. Yeah, and, and so, I think
1: I, I think that's where we need to kind of align how we define hand holding. Because when when I when I say hand holding, I mean literally the unbearable yeah. sense of like go here, yeah. do this, let us yeah. tell you exactly where you need to be at all times. That's what I mean by hand holding.
2: Yeah, I know, I know. So I was just showing you the example of yeah. What good game design of explaining to a player how to play the game. Yeah. And so.
1: And, and you know to kind of yeah. build on that, um, and I'm sure you've seen this, and I just I, I love talking about this um, sequelitis video of Mega Man X.
2: Ah, uh, Mega Man X.
1: That's Dude, like, I love that. Yeah, it's one of the greatest videos ever made about conveyance and good game development, uh, and yeah. and and it's true. I, I I grew up playing those goddamn games, and they are. You literally learn everything you need to... That intro stage is the best thing that has ever happened in video gaming. Yeah. But, yeah, man, sorry to cut you off there, but what were you going to say?
2: Well, no, I was about to get a sequel too. You know, uh, Aaron Hansen, did a gr- his 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 whole sequel-itis series uh, is, is a great series on just... The whole, even though he he isn't a developer, mm-hmm. he still has that sense of uh, of knowledge of what's fun and what's not fun, you know. Yeah. You know, and I think that he he did something special with his his short short-lived series of uh Mega Man. That's just so loud. Of you know Zelda, Castlevania, uh, uh the two Castlevania ones, then the Mega Man short-lived. You know, I kind of, and where that spawned from with the sequelitis, is that we got people like Nikki Jakey, who does more of the emotional sides of games. You know, he's always a weird name, but you know, and we get mm-hmm. Mark Brown, who's my, he's he's such a he's such a phenomenal journalist, and I love all his works that he's done uh, with the game industry. And he's helped me a lot as I as uh, learning into game design and what it means to be a designer, what's fun and what's not. And what techniques designers do. But what the problem with a lot of developers now is that they tell you and they give you a waypoint and they hammer into you with blinking notifications. Mm-hmm. They go, Mega Man, Mega Man! Jump yeah. <laughs> over here and go blow up the building. And it's just like, yeah, I know! Mega Man, Mega Man! You know, and you, you get this stupid thing every 10 seconds. You know, I got tired of open world games about two, two, three years ago. Because you open up an open world game and all it is is a bunch of tasks to do. Oh, go do this. So copy, paste, side quest. Do this thing for this person. Oh, no, this person needs help. And I was, and it was just a bunch of bleaking icons and there's like no exploration. I was just going through the motions. And it was just like... And then I think the worst game, the worst one too, of, a, of hand-holding in the game is Skyward Sword. Hmm that's just basically walking across your room while people tell you where to walk and each step to take it's the worst
1: it's case constantly of telling you how to play
2: the game yeah it's like yeah I get it. I know how to use a sword like you forget how to use a sword I'm like no I think you did I'm like no no I, I, I didn't I I remember and it's just like the whole game is like that it's just like, and it's like and the fact that it's so linear and there's no adventure to it and the story's lame, and the gameplay's bland, and it just all culminates to a bad game. Yeah. And you know, you'll play Call of Duty now. I don't know if that's a big example. I haven't played the recent ones, but from the ones I played, uh, who, you know, you know, it's just go here, go there, shoot people.
1: Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's always that. And 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 to on the polar opposite side of Skyward Sword. You know, I've been playing, I, I've been talking about this a lot, but I've been playing a lot of Xenoblade Chronicles too. And this game is riddled with tutorials. There's so much text and there's so much to learn, but it makes sense. Uh, and it's one of the exceptions to the rule. Um, because the the combat system, the blade system, if you ever get into it, like, it's just, it's so dense that you can't cover it by just playing around with it. Uh, I did roughly 15 hours of playing around with it and I could not figure out what I was doing wrong and then actually paying attention to because the tutorials are never, you know, the, you don't get you don't get them in bulk. You move along with the story and they give you a, they tease in a little bit more for you to understand a little bit more as you go along and it works. It's a little bit of a slow payoff, but in the end, it's worth it because now I know and now I understand exactly what I need to do and how I need to build my team's and it's a very dense and super rich strategic game. And I am loving every fucking second of it. And I'm only in chapter 4 out of, I don't know, maybe 12 chapters, I think. I have no idea how many chapters are in there. But yeah. it's, it has a well-balanced amount of hand-holding because it absolutely needs to because it's, it's density. Which is crazy for a Nintendo Switch and Wii U game. Like, Or is it just on the Switch? Or is it on the
2: Wii? Chronicles 2?
1: Yeah, it's just, on the switch. It's, on
2: a, it's just on the switch.
1: Yeah, it is a dense fucking game, and I am oh yeah, it was on, just
2: one of them that was on
1: 3DS. Yeah, and and like those were those were all right. They weren't super dense. They were pretty simple. And but this one is just, it's insane. It is literally the most insane thing I've ever played, but mm-hmm. I'm loving it. And there's just yeah. con- there's a constant barrage of this is how you do this and this is how you do that, and I'm in chapter four. I've already docked in 30 hours and I just unlocked this other mechanic where I can send off my party members to go like do their own thing and then come back in an hour and a half. You know, it's just but there's a very particular way of doing that cuz it's not just pick these random team members like no, you have to take into account what skill sets they have, what abilities they have and what elements and weapon attacks they have. And you combine all that together so that you can either they can have really good combos and they can mesh well, and so they can achieve certain aspects of the mission you're sending them on. So it's just, it's you know, some people might argue against me at this point, but I think I can argue my point very well, and to say that if the game is dense enough, the hand-holding is required to a certain extent. Yeah. But games like Skyward Sword, I completely agree. You do not need to make a game that's based solely on how to play it because at some point you have to let the hand go.
2: Yeah. It's like I teaching kid to ride a bike. You know, you yeah. can only hold them so much. You know, push them so far. And then actually you just have to let go and let them ride. And I think a great game that does that is mm-hmm. the sequel to Skyward Sword, the next game. Which was uh, Breath of the Wild. Which did away with the tutorials. Which did away with constantly telling you where to go and what to do and they brought you into this open world
1: that encourages every sense do whatever of it. the fuck you want
2: you know and it has a sense of wonder and the dungeons aren't that well made I mean they're well made but they're just you know pretty easy and pretty simple once you understand it yeah but you don't even have to do the dungeons you have to do anything you can go around collecting food and just cook the entire game Mm-hmm. You can go to the boss and kill him right away. You can do all the dungeons and then kill the boss. Or kill the boss and then do all the dungeons.
1: Yeah, I spent like all the two shrines. and a half hours cooking. Yeah. Just cooking because I had a bunch of materials.
2: Yeah, you know, making potions, learning the crafting system. You know, that satisfying moment when you shoot a, a guardian with a flame arrow. Mm
3: hmm.
2: You know, and then use that updraft to fly up in the air and then create a pause moment where you shoot off one of its legs. then you shoot off one of its legs and then use your sword to dive down and stab it. You know, in the beginning of the game, a guardian is the most f- fearful thing in the game. You cannot see it. It's, it's scary. You know, it'll kill you in one shot. And then at one point in the game, when you're like, I'm ready. I'm ready for it. You get on your horseback and you defeat a guardian. It did not tell you how to defeat him. And it didn't tell you when to defeat him.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: You
2: figured it out on your own. Yeah. And the whole game is like that. They don't what do tell you, you... Use...
1: what do you use to defeat a guardian?
2: I usually go around the, the method of getting a shot into the eye and as mm-hmm. it gets in the eye, I go off a shop off false legs and then beat it to death. Mm-hmm. And every time it tries to shoot a laser at me, I just shoot in the eye again.
1: See, i i'm a i'm a masochist uh i rely on my shields to deflect the shot into their eyes
2: yeah see look at that two different completely worlds i never i never parry in the game i've never once parried
1: no i've man i freaking love parrying
2: I, i've never done it i don't do it in the game and, and that's the beauty that. of
1: this game because it, it it you can play however you want and that says a lot about how what you were talking about earlier about giving into that idea that let the player decide how they want to play. Don't teach them how yeah. to play.
2: It's like a, one time I put a, one of those octo, octo balloons things. Yeah. And I put a bomb on it, and then I, I flew into a camp. And then I and I just blew it up, and I blew up the camp, and then they started fighting me. And it's like Chris said, like, you'll throw your boomerang, and then anyone will catch it. And then throw it at you. That's like mm-hmm. what? It's like things like that, and crazy things all over the game. And the world is so intricately made, and it redefines the open world genre. You know, mm-hmm. and the open world games before that were just like go here, do that. And even here in it's not even open world, even though it's considered open world.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: It's more of an uh, more of like an old Zelda game where you have an open world, like a a of time, but you just trek through it. There's nothing in it that's interesting. Zelda, the whole game is, you know, some games, the they're, they're story is made through clever level design, you know, or interesting stories and set pieces. You know. The mm-hmm. old games were about the dungeons and the story and the epic journey you take to save the princess and the boss fights. Hmm. Breath of the Wild's main focus is the world. It's a breath of fresh air to a genre, to a game series that has been long been neglected into a game series that's just simply less about fun and more about following a set of orders. And they fixed the whole complaints of the game and they understood and they learned from their mistakes and they went and made this game that's absolutely amazing. It has this sense of wonder and the saddest part about the game is realizing you can't play it for the first time again yeah you can't see a shrine on top of a a mountain and you can't just go climb up it again it's not the same and it's this wonderful thing of a developer you know not holding someone's hand the entire time they teach them the basic mechanics in the beginning area and then they tell you Go free. Mm-hmm. Go out into the world. Play how you want to play. You know, there's two conflicting things I have with uh, with game design and overall. With game design, uh, there's two concepts that I wholeheartedly agree with and they conflict each other. One is if a designer intends to make something, they should make it the way they want it, you know? If they want to make something in a certain way. They want you to feel a certain experience. They should make it that way. You know, if Dark Souls wants to be extremely difficult and doesn't have an easy mode, then they make it that game. You know, if uh, a game series wants to be linear and take you through a path, it's great. Or if it wants to be super easy and lean back and you just watch, you know, basically barely control the game, that's fine. That's what the, if that's what the designers intend. Then that's to how the game should be played. But the conflicting opinion I have is that designers should let people play the way they want to play, and that's where my problem is right now. Is that these two systems, these two ideas, conflict each other? You know. Yeah. What if there's a, someone with a, a disability and they can't react fast enough, but they still love games? Mm-hmm. You know. What if you know? You know someone just, just can't get past because they're just not good enough or what if they just don't like a certain part of the game you know maybe yeah. they just like the story parts and they don't really care for the shooting mechanics or maybe they just like the shooting mechanics and they don't like the story or skip boss fights if it's too hard you know but that idea conflicts with the designer's intent
1: yeah you know what um have you played uh have you heard of celeste
2: i yeah I've heard of it, but I haven't played it yet with its assist mode.
1: I, I, uh, I just finished it a couple days ago, and
2: it uh, takes... All
1: the... I'm sorry, go ahead.
2: Have you finished all the levels, like all the different tracks or whatever it's called? Beat, yeah. Beat tapes?
1: Yeah. Um, and, man, it takes a lot out of you. It, it is a very difficult game. But I think those two conflicting concepts, if you, because you're d- dealing with that, I think the answer has been made by these developers uh, that created Celeste because they have... This is a punishing platformer, and it is really fucking hard. But the payoff is great. But they also have... They don't have difficulties, but they do have an assist mode. And this assist mode, it does without... Not that it removes the difficulty entirely, because it essentially does... But it allows somebody to still enjoy the main mechanics of the game, of using the platforming experience, making it less punishing in the sense that uh, you're not going to die every 10 seconds because that's literally what happens to me. I die every 5 seconds to 10 seconds because I want to figure out how to get to, from point A to point B. With assist mode, you can get from point A to point B, but you can be more creative about how you want to do that. Mm-hmm. So it changes; it vastly changes the way the game is played because either you want to be punished, or you want to have it easy breezy, enjoy the music, and follow the story along. Yeah. And it does that so well, like infinitely well. Because I know my sister, for example, she cannot play; she she can't play video games with a third-person camera. She cannot control the camera and move the character at the same time. She's just incapable of doing it. Mm-hmm. So platformers are her, her bread and butter. She played she is the one who introduced me to Super Mario for example. And I tried to get her I tried to get her to play Spider-Man 2 and she just couldn't handle it, but she'll kick my ass at Super Mario World. Um, and with a game like Celeste, I've gotten a lot better now that I'm older and all of that, but Celeste is a punishing game, but I know she won't be able to get through it because it's very it's hard to describe, it's not fast-paced, but it's And it's not super precise, but it has a very clear focus on momentum. And that momentum is what drives that game through and through. Um, But when you put on assist mode, the momentum changes. It's not about the small margin of error. It's about how you want to get there. And I know she can enjoy the game just as much, but in a different way than I did. Still using the same mechanics.
2: Yeah. It's the and same I, thing with uh,
1: I highly recommend you play it and then like yeah. ma- then we'll rehash this conversation and I want to see how you feel. Uh,
2: the, I love what the developers said about it. They said that they at first they thought it was gonna be they, they were gonna call it cheat mode. hmm And they felt like no, that's not it's not cheat mode. That's not it's not cheating. That's insulting to someone just playing the game. So yeah. You're not cheating the game. You you you, you see assistance while playing it. And they went with assist mode. It's not you're not you're not, you're playing it on your, by yourself. But if you need assistance, press the buzzer. You know, change the settings if you need help. It's okay. It's not the end of the world if you have to change a setting. You know, if you have to make it you know a little bit easier on you because it's too difficult just to play by itself. You maybe need a little bit help or maybe slow it down because you don't react fast enough or maybe have some more jumps or stamina or infinite stamina if you just want to have fun and just try to get there crazily you know and I think that's really good because there's lots of people you know there there's people that don't realize there's gamers that don't have arms you know yeah and they they have these special controllers made for them where they use their mouth to play the game and it's 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 insane there's 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 people that play games that are blind I know that sounds crazy but there are people that play games that are blind there's a man that beat super mario world he completely beat it once on one uh playthrough with i believe zero deaths huh and he was blind and he just played it through sound and games aren't just one person they're they're they to go to multiple people you know mm-hmm. you're not watching the game you're playing the game you know and games have the specific Nature to them. That nothing ever has. You know. No other medium has this. No. Nothing else. Has this medium. No other medium has this. Kind of sense of. I'm the hero. You don't say. Oh. I was playing a game the other day. And this character did something funny. You know. You know. This character did something. You know say. Oh I've been in this game. And I did this crazy thing. You know. Yeah. And there's. Personal nature to him. And. If you, if a game designer can create a game that can be personal to everyone and create a, a sense of accomplishment with everyone, no matter what their what their uh, you know you know uh, you know what their situation is, if they if you know maybe they only have one arm and they they have to play with one hand, you know maybe make it a little bit slower so they can react and move their hands, and so they don't hurt their hands too much, you know their hand too much. Yeah. Or, you know, maybe someone just isn't that, you know, maybe maybe they're older. Maybe they're an older gamer, you know. And then maybe they need more stamina, you know. Or maybe it's a kid and they just want to just enjoy the game. Or maybe it's someone that doesn't really like him. She just likes the story. And I think game designers that can create a balance between the two, you know. Take Breath of the Wild. Once you read the main part, you can just solve all the puzzles. Or you can just go cooking, or you can just discover all the towers, or fight people, or just hunt down all the squirrels, or try to find a steed in the mountains and mount him, and then bring him to the forest and you know hunt down a pack of wolves, Mm -hmm. or whatever you know, and that's where they get it. They they got the game right because they give it to the player and they say play how you want to play. It's your world, and that's what they intended. Their their intended point, their main focus of the game, is to let the player play how they want to play. Yeah,
1: man, I think that's a perfect way to close this out. Uh, if if you're ready, yeah. Awesome, man. Uh, is did you wanna make any of your social media call outs before we go ahead and wrap this up? You
2: can follow me on Twitter at MarshallVirgil uh, underscore. That's my account. Uh, Follow me on there, uh, uh, Mitchell Virgil and Letterbox. That's where you can get all the movies that I'm currently watching. Uh, Instagram, uh, Mitchell L. Sorry, uh, Marshall L. Virgil underscore. Uh, I'm on there. Also, I post uh, occasionally. And uh, yeah, catch me on the subreddit as the American Cosmonaut. So, yeah. Awesome. Any social media you wanna shout out there, Eduardo? Uh, Yeah, man.
1: Mine is always uh, JusticeForWardo on every outlet. Got a YouTube channel that I will be starting soon, hopefully once I get the ball rolling on that. But mostly Twitter, and it's fun. It's either JusticeForWardo if you want to call it that, or just Ice. But it's really all one word anyway. uh, Same thing on Reddit. But find me on the online. So I'll go ahead and sign us off. Death Stranding Podcast is part of the Interactive Artistry Podcast Network. Make sure to give us five stars reviews on iTunes. We need them. We need them. We want them. We want you. We're also on Podbean. Twitter.com slash Death Strand Pod. Instagram.com slash Death Stranding Podcast. Same for Tumblr. Uh, Facebook, you can find us at Interactive Artistry, which is the parent channel. And YouTube, obviously the same as always. YouTube.com slash Interactive Artistry. And as a closing note note to our listeners, uh, we here at Interactive Artistry are always looking to improve the quality of the show and tailor it to you, of course, and make it the very best podcast that it can be at this point. Uh, Make sure to enter the giveaway sweepstakes we have going on and help us grow with just a dollar a month at patreon.com slash interactiveartistry, patron.podbean.com slash deathstranding, uh, and if you have any feedback that you'd like to share, reach out to us individually or on interactive Artistry, you know all those goody outlets. So take care everyone, you too, Mitchell. <laughs> uh, and remember, the game has already begun.